Welcome to the Bucket Problem, episode 12, brought to you as always by Homefield Apparel. I will get it out of the way right now. Use promo code BUCKETPROBLEM for 15% off your first order at homefieldapparel.com. Michigan is coming off a week one victory over Western Michigan, 47-14. Not a whole lot to complain about in that one. We will get to what maybe some complaints later. Um, but overall, it was an extremely uh, satisfying day in, in the big house, I would say. Uh, and certainly also satisfying to watch from home. Um we are going to get into our big mood takeaways from that game. First, I wanted to touch on something really quick um, that unfortunately also ties into last week's podcast and by far the worst thing to happen in the Western Michigan game. Uh, our take on the Ronnie Bell injury is that it sucks. That's our official take on this game on Ronnie Bell's injury. It was a worthwhile discussion to, about putting him back at punt returner uh, to have during the preseason. But there's not much positive to come out of having that same discussion now that the worst case scenario has played out. Uh, let's hope that he comes back fully healthy and is as excellent next year as he was looking in this game prior to that injury because he, he really looked fantastic. Um, so, yeah, we we wish Ronnie Bell the best. And uh, that's that's really all we've re- got to say on that. Um, sorry for butchering that. Uh, but, uh, with that, let's get, get onto some big moods. Um, that's, uh, at least for now going to be our thing coming out of each game. Uh, and for me, it was the thing I wrote about in my game column on Monday, which is that, or at least that I kind of touched on the game column on Monday, um, since it was mostly focused on JJ McCarthy's obscenely ridiculous pass to Dan Baldwin, uh, that, covered about 50 yards on an absolute frozen rope. Um, but the, the biggest takeaway from that game for me is that overall the quarterback position looks really solid. Uh, Cade McNamara went 9 of 11 for 136 yards, two touchdowns, no picks. Didn't really – he missed – you know, he did have Roman Wilson open for a touchdown over the middle on, on a play that he checked down. Um that was a miss, but otherwise he was dialed in. He did have that one throw to Ronnie Bell that was called back on an absurd offensive pass interference um, taken away. So he was really 10 of 12 for like, I don't know, 160 yards somewhere in that neighborhood. That That's a pretty darn good day. And then J.J. McCarthy comes in, is a little up and down, but then has one of the best throws I've ever seen a Michigan quarterback make. And I mean that that alone was a, a hell of a, a vibe to ride off, ride off for that game was just seeing that ball go into the air and being like, oh, I'm not sure about this. And then that ball just continuing to go and realizing that not only was it getting over the defender's head, but it was giving Dale and Baldwin separation from the defender. Man, I I mean, I don't I I haven't seen a pass like that uh, certainly from a Michigan quarterback. In a long time, it was something to behold. So, I mean, you obviously have to account for the competition. This was Western Michigan, but man, it it felt good watching the quarterbacks, and it did not take long for me to settle into a place where I felt pretty confident in their ability to execute the offense. And it's been a while. 
So uh, that was exciting. Um, I've got Alex, Dan, and Connor with me as usual. Um, I, uh, I, I'll throw it to Alex because you were, Alex, the, the one who was actually in the big house for this one, uh, along with our uh, with friend of the blog, uh, friend of the site, friend of the pod, Ben Mathis-Lilly. Yeah, it was really nice to be able to take in a game at the big house again. I Before the game, they announced, you know, it has been 630-something days since fans have been in Michigan Stadium. Um, and, you know, a lot has changed since then, obviously. I was actually at that game as well, which was a loss to Ohio State. But uh, my big mood of the week is the return of classic uh lazy noon big game at uh or game at the big house you have an overmatched mac opponent we've seen michigan play a lot of nooners over the years against you know mac teams other mid-major teams um kind of lower end big 10 teams and just it's clear from you know early on that they're that they're overmatched and that most of the game is going to be played in garbage time um you know there were some notable differences at the big house in terms of like you know the the concession stands were unstaffed uh, there were some people wearing masks although not many um the pregame festivities outside the stadium might have been a little subdued although it looked like some of the students were having some fun so good for them um i'm happy that life is back to normal for them a little bit <laughs> but uh yeah i mean you know, the game, it, the stands filled in by the start of the second quarter, um, you know, as Michigan made some big plays, including that long touchdown pass to Ronnie Bell, the stadium got pretty loud. But yeah, by the time JJ threw that touchdown in the fourth quarter, mostly empty, pretty quiet. I spent quite a bit of time trying to discern the uh, rotation of defensive linemen with Ben Mathis Lilly, you know, trying to see, oh, that's Chris Jenkins or, oh, they're playing Mike Morris at at end instead of outside linebacker or whatever. And uh, yeah, when that's the most intriguing part of the game, it's a, it's a great, it's a great time. Yeah, no, I mean, even not being there, it, I, I will say that it was definitely uh, an adrenaline rush to see the game open, the broadcast open with Michigan coming out of the tunnel and touching the banner in front of an actual crowd. That was uh that that hit different than than any game from last year. Definitely, yeah, I would say the game day experience hit different for sure. I mean, yeah, just thinking about last year and how it all went down and and the games that the team played in front of an empty stadium. Um, you know, as I was walking down Hoover Street, I saw the band come out and do their walk to the stadium. You know, spent quite a bit of time watching warmups with Ben in the stands and. Yeah, it was just it was really nice to be back and I I do think that's going to help home teams across college football that this year is just the energy is is going to be great. I think Washington, I'm actually going to be at that game as well is going to be um one of the better environments in in recent big house memory at least for me. Yeah, night game. Uh I was going to say quality opponent, but uh we'll get to that later. Um <laughs> Yes, there there is that. Uh, I expect the energy to be to be really good for that game. Now, uh, whether Washington can score on Michigan is probably going to be in serious question. And for more on that and how that might come to be, I'm going to throw it to Connor. Hey, everybody. Um, yeah, I mean, I had a blast watching this game. Uh, honestly, I, I'm known around here as an optimist. I had the most optimistic, uh, you know, wins loss projection for the season. Um, 
And I'm feeling pretty pretty vindicated, not fully because it is one game, but you know, as far as how Michigan would be able to look against a lesser opponent, I think we all have to agree they did 95% of what you could possibly hope to see, and especially on defense. So my big mood is, you know, we talked endlessly about what we might see from Mike McDonald, how it could work, uh, how the defensive roster was too thin, how there weren't enough impact players so on and so forth. And as the year goes on, we're going to dig into all those details and and maybe even in this episode. But I think the really important takeaway for me is Mike McDonald deserves a ton of credit. Like he, he appears to be a guy who is good at this, at least insofar as he took truly one of the most depressing units, probably in the whole country and all of college football last year, which was the totally somewhat inexplicably off the rails, Michigan defense and turn it into a group that is at least competent and also intriguing and fun. Like they're probably not an elite unit yet, um, but they were going up against one of the sort of middle tier offenses on their schedule. Like this is not Ohio State, but in terms of offenses Michigan's going to play, it's also not Northwestern or Nebraska. Like Western Michigan can play some offense. They have definitely one of the better quarterbacks uh, Michigan will face. And I we'll get into the details, but I think overall you have to admit like, in terms of showing different looks that have been installed, lots of different coverages that actually more or less worked, different fronts, moving players around, subbing guys in and out, you know, having a guy like Dax Hill play all over the field to 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 I would say Peppersian, uh, Peppers like effect. Hmm. I mean, Mike McDonald made it happen. So I'll stop I'll stop rambling here, but I think you really have to say that the big picture here and the broad trends are very positive. So tip of the hat to Coach McDonald. Yeah, I mean that was. Uh... Anytime you hold a relatively competent offense to around 300 yards, and, and Western Michigan just scrapes up to 310 in this game on 4.5 per play, that's that's a strong defensive performance. I, I mean, there are there are different standards, I would say, for how a defense should look than was the case even I would five years ago, especially when you go and look around uh, the way certain teams uh, uh, performed against what should have been relatively easy competition. Um, it's it's hard to get stops in modern college football. Uh, that was going to be my lead into Dan's big mood, and then he changed his. Um, but uh, we're uh, we're doing this live. Um, <laughs> uh, so Dan. Uh, <laughs> Yours, your take is not about uh, the, the nature of modern college football defense, which we will get to, I think, on the other side uh, of our ad break. Um, but um, you were impressed uh, with the team's communication. <laughs> yes, uh, I was. I was got to keep it, um, keep you on your toes, Ace. Uh, I, I think people think of me as the wild card of this podcast, so you know, I'm, I'm all, I'm constantly changing, uh, much, much like Mike McDonald's, uh, you know, uh, varied fronts. Um, anyway, uh, so my, my big mood. Um, I think something that I was looking for out of this season, you know, I, I think I've, I've made it pretty clear that I was a Harbaugh skeptic coming into the year. Um, and I think one of the main things I was looking for to potentially, um, you know, that I wanted to see change uh, from other years under Harbaugh was just improved communication. I feel like every year under Harbaugh, there were at least a couple of times when um, we would just have to take a time out, uh, you know, even out of a break. And it just would that maybe maybe the defense wasn't aligned quite right. Um, 
you know, the offense uh, just did not look in sync. Um, and there really wasn't any of that on Saturday. Um, I don't think they had to take any timeouts like that. Um, felt like uh, there were a couple times even that um, Andrew Rastardis, shout out to him, uh, was able to snap the ball when a defensive lineman went off sides. Um, I don't think the defense actually went off sides at all. Um, I don't even think I don't think there were any really dumb penalties besides a, a understandable taunting from David Ojabo. You know, it's more of an emotion one. Great um, teams taunt. Great teams taunt. Yeah, no, I'll, I'll never I'll never fault anyone for taunting. Um, but yeah, no, I was overall uh, impressed by the organization. Not a whole lot of like first uh, first game jitters or kinks to work out. Um, you know, we'll see how that how that holds up against uh, you know in more stressful situations than at home against Western Michigan. Um, but you know, encouraging start. Absolutely, I, I mean, you especially when you expect those things in week one. You expect those things when you turn over a fair amount of your offensive line. You expect those things when one of your expected starting linemen and Zach Center turns out to not be available due to injury. Uh, there are a lot of reasons why. You know that that could have been a whole hell of a lot uglier. I mean, we're going to get to our pick results from last week, and I'm going to warn you they're they're not the prettiest. Um, <laughs> so uh, I don't know. I disagree personally, but okay. Um, Dan was able to capitalize on just the hideous nature of Week One in college football. That's what we're going to go with there, because uh, uh, some of us are refusing to acknowledge uh, Dan's success last week. But that is the next segment. Uh, First, before we get to anything else, this podcast is sponsored by Homefield Apparel. Use the promo code Bucket Problem for fifteen percent off your first order from HomefieldApparel.com. Washington, as we mentioned before, unveiled as a big new Saturday school during this season, leading right back in, leading almost directly into the season, and it felt like you know there was going to be some home field magic. Michigan was going to be on the wrong end of this. And we were going to have to blame our beloved sponsor for, you know, the, the, some the horrible week two shenanigans. Uh, and maybe that's still the case. But if week one is in any indication, uh, I think we can credit our efforts in telling you to buy Michigan gear during Washington Big News Saturday week for Michigan's performance against Western and Washington losing to Montana in week one and suddenly this becoming a game that looks extremely promising. So keep it up. Buy Michigan gear. Use promo code BUCKETPROBLEM. It's working, and you can't stop right before the game. We've got more football takes before we get to our picks from this week. Uh, We actually got through big moods a little bit faster than I expected, Um, but... uh, we kind of collectively decided to not do the Blake Corm discussion uh, during that first segment because uh, it was going to be too easy for one of us to pick that, and then none of us picked it. Um, so Corum goes for 111 yards and a touchdown on 14 carries. That's 7.9 yards a pop. Adds 22 more yards and a touchdown on a swing pass that he made look so dang easy on two receptions. Um he busts a huge kickoff return for 79 yards that uh, only results in a Michigan field goal, unfortunately, but uh, was the immediate answer to Western Michigan's first touchdown. He looked 
spectacular. I know Connor is like bursting at the seams to talk about Blake Corum, so I think I'm going to allow him to do that right now. I, I, he's a problem out there, man. I actually, we we could at some point. I think we need more data, whether to anoint Blake Corum as a bucket or a problem, or potentially by the end of the season, if things keep going like this, potentially a Uh-oh. bucket problem. I don't want to jinx Uh-oh. it, but. Yeah, I, I know. I'm I'm daring to say it. I, I when, dare when to the say Mike it Hart is. but fast comparisons come out, I, I think bucket problem is on the table. Yeah, I mean Brian from MGO Blog said that this is Mike Hart but fast. So if Brian's willing to say that, I'll say we have bucket problem potential. I don't have like a ton to add to this conversation other than this, which is that Dan and I on our old podcast, one of the things we would lament that I think gets lost in the weeds for Michigan fans is like. Michigan has put a ton of guys in the NFL, which is a point that I make over and over again. I think there were 35 guys in the NFL from Michigan, like day one, or like current rosters for this year. Um, And sadly, very few of those guys have been offensive playmakers. And Blake Quorum is just your classic college football playmaker who could belong in any era. Uh, And these are the guys that will actually break defenses, like the guys that you will plan around and they will still wreck your shit. Um, I'm super <laughs> excited to have him on our team. Yeah, he really does look like Mike Hart, but fast. You know, he's maybe five eight, five nine, but he can squat maybe an entire house. And yeah, his speed <laughs> on that kick return was legit impressive. Yeah, I mean, some people would say that that's you know pretty tall. Um, but anyway, <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, but. Uh, point being, I, 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 I mean, yeah, I can't, I can't say enough about Blake Corum, and I almost feel bad. I just, anytime we bring up Blake Corum, I just do want to like mention Hassan Haskins because he was also spectacular yesterday, um, and mm-hmm. he's, he's not going to get enough credit this year because I, he never does. As, he never does, but also like as as good as he is, and I mean, he's such an asset to this team, and he would be a huge loss if you know. If he wasn't on this team, as good as he is, I do think Blake Corm is just that next level of of talent and next level of running back that Michigan has not had on their roster since uh, I mean, you know, since since Mike Hart. Uh, I guess I don't know. I've never really watched Mike Hart live, um, but you know, I'm assuming damn it, you, damn you guys <laughs> you guys seem to think so. Um, but uh, point being, I mean, the thing that Blake Corm does so well is just. Outside of the fact that you know he's uh, he's an incredible athlete, he just has such a good sense. He almost has that um, that Madden running back sense where if you've ever been playing Madden, you know that you know like y- y- you obviously have like a three sixty view of you know your player, and you're able to you know make adjustments and and make players miss in the open field without really like actually putting on a move. It's just sort of about like you know changing direction subtly enough to just run away from people. And if you the watch, Bob and think, weave, baby, Bob and weave. And I think if you if you watch his uh, the way that he runs on a couple of his um, you know the swing passes and, and the actual runs he got like. He'll just be in the open field and he'll just turn, he'll go from, you know, take running straight down the field to running like at a slight angle and he'll accelerate just enough that like the, the safety doesn't even like get a finger on him. And it's, that's such an invaluable skill. Add that to the fact that like, I think his, his height is actually an advantage because he is able to just hide behind that offensive line and, you know, be really tough for, uh, for linebackers to track down. Um, and and like he's built like you know a brick shit house, and he like ran over a, a linebacker the other day. I mean, he's the complete package. Um, I mean, b- besides the fact that I guess 
he's probably never going to be an elite pass protector. I, I know that he's he's reputed to be pretty good, um, but he's you know I mean there's only now so I know you never watched night. Mike Hart. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah. Well, I know I know that that was like okay whatever. It's he's not going to be the type of guy that you can just like fill a hole and you know tell him to take care of like a like a, a blitzing linebacker at full speed. Dan, um, stop talking. Yeah, maybe you, whatever, you're whatever, getting, whatever. You're getting deeper. He's, that's the only this is my only like yeah he's, digging he's, deeper he's, he's elite he's so elite. <laughs> for those mike hart comparisons i will say for those of us who have not watched watched mike hart um i think quorum will be deployed a little bit more creatively in his michigan career than spamming zone left god i hope Jake so Maybe i mean little, those yeah. those passes to the flat were nice they clearly thought that they had something with those western linebackers and yeah they ran that play probably eight to ten times and it worked great um we really enjoyed Mike St. Ristel's blocking, but yeah, mm-hmm. Mike Hart 2.0. Now that Mike Hart is back on the coaching staff, Blake Corum is wearing, yeah, number two instead of number 20. The the comparison works, I think. Yeah, I, I also think like what you're saying about the swing passes, I was really happy to see those. And there is a lively and detailed discussion among the most like scheme-informed members of the Michigan fan base and media about like, what speed and space is supposed to mean? Are we actually doing it? Like to me, swing pass to Blake Corum is like speed and space, just in the sense that you're getting that guy the ball with space to work and he's able to make a play. Like there are all kinds of ins and outs about how you build your offense. And yes, some of the things we saw against Western are not going to work against the best defenses we face, but like just the willingness to put Blake Corum in space with the ball and let him dust some guys is like what we need to be doing. So it's a good step. I got to ask, does the uh, run end around touchdown by AJ Henning, where he runs 75 yards into the end zone, does that count as speed in space as well? <laughs> it should. Like, I, I mean, what else is it, right? Like, to me, it does. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm definitely in favor of a, a loose definition of speed in space. And yeah, you can play a converted offensive tackle at tight end. And as long as you get your fast guys the ball, I, I think it still counts. Absolutely. Um, I, I thought this was, I mean, and, and we can get into this a little bit now, is that, uh, you know, Michigan, obviously, you're going against a team that, you know, this this game was well in hand pretty quickly, like early on in the second quarter, really. Um, and so, and, I mean, you're never going to show your full hand in, in week one, uh, especially since you're probably still installing stuff. Um so for me, I I thought, you know, this was a, a pretty encouraging game from Josh Gaddis in terms of uh, we saw some interesting things. We saw a lot of players get used in ways that uh, are exciting. You know, we've mentioned Coram uh, and Henning. Uh, Roman Wilson uh, got a 43-yard carry in there. Um, uh, you know, Eric All bounced back from a rough year last year and ended up actually uh leading Michigan and catches this game doing a doing a decent job of working underneath. Uh we got to see Dalen Baldwin obviously on uh, one very long and awesome touchdown. And Mike Sanders still was like a just a monster blocking downfield. Uh, so I I mean, you know, there's been discussion about like okay, we're where their reads on in the run game, and it's like, I mean, God, I hope not. <laughs> like, not against that team. Don't put, don't put your quarterback at needless risk. Like, uh, you can, like, it's not worth the like three or four times that your quarterback's gonna 
you know, execute a, a live rep read in that game uh, and keep it to, you know, keep Western on their toes when you're on your way to putting up 47 points. And, uh, you know, I mean, maybe they had some, they, they had some tags on in the passing game that they could have used, but uh, I mean, this is, I, I, that was everything I expected from a game one game plan that would work really well is Michigan did not really have to break out anything too elaborate. They didn't have to go deep down to field too much in the passing game unless they wanted to. And again, it was awesome when they did that. And uh, they just ran all over Western. This was a uh, 335 yard on 7.8 yard per carry performance. That That is a trucking. Yeah, I think uh, you can run over Western with a vanilla run game, but there are legit questions, you know, schematically with Michigan's offense. Like I remember um, the opening game against Notre Dame a couple years ago, which was Shea Patterson's first game. Um, didn't look like there were many quarterback reads in the run game then. Um, if I remember correctly, that was before Josh Gaddis, though, right? I don't know. Yeah, you you keep you keep the playbook short against Western. You you just kind of run the same, you know, we saw a little bit of diversity between zone and, and gap scheme, but yeah, nothing, nothing too complicated. And it'll be interesting to see what they pull off for Washington. Yeah. For me, this, this looked a lot like um, the Harbaugh section of the playbook um, in terms of a pretty diverse run game. Um, I, I'd have to go back and like count how many different like schemes, but definitely, definitely like zone, there was zone, there was split zone, um, I think there was some insert, um, and then there were, you know, power schemes as well. Um, and I think, you know, I, something I'm definitely, definitely looking for out of this season is, um, just more constraint plays, meaning, um, you know, I want things, I want the play action passing game to look like the running game and, you know, therefore, uh, and, and therefore, you know, catch linebackers with their pants down um, a lot more than we did last year. Um, And we actually saw a little bit of that weirdly when JJ McCarthy came in. Um, And we saw actually there was one play that was perfectly set up for a touchdown uh, to Roman Wilson that I think Ace you mentioned earlier where I think Cade probably hits that if he wasn't getting um, some pretty immediate pressure. Uh, But anyway, I I digress here. Uh, My point is that I think, you know, some of that was it felt like early on Michigan really wanted to get their reps in running the ball and was sort of just allowing Western to uh, fill their safeties down into the running game um, uh, with without you know really punishing that um, and then they you know as, as soon as they started punishing that with you know just like okay we're gonna take one deep shot to Ronnie Bell um, then you know that Western was forced to play more you know too high. And Michigan started really grinding the ball out in the run game, um, but you know I, I that's they're not going to be able to use this same playbook against better defenses. I think that's pretty clear. Um, I I'm still I guess the jury is still out in terms of like you know how much uh, how how many reads there are going to be. Um, I definitely want to see more next week against a legitimate defense. Um, I will say that I think that the quarterback run game is not going to be uh, 
a huge part of this offense. And that's okay to me. I, I think that, you know, even Alabama, um, where Josh Geddes came from, if you watch their offense, I mean, Tua did not run the ball a ton last year. I, I, I'd have to r- look back at the stats, but I'm like 90% certain that their constraints as far as, you know, reads in their offense were almost ent- entirely, you know, uh, run controls or reliefs, you know, being like bubbles or straight up RPOs. So I do not expect there to be a ton of just like zone read, you know, Rich Rod style zone read in this offense. That doesn't mean they can't, you know, have an effective, um, you know, modern offense. Yeah, I mean, we don't want to use Alabama as an example too much, but uh, Mac Jones is their quarterback last year because uh, Tua was a quarterback two years ago. And uh, uh, both the Michigan's quarterbacks, I would say, uh, their top two are more mobile than Mac Jones, um, who is now a New England Patriots quarterback, and that fits. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, to build on what Dan's saying, I think that was really smart analysis. And yeah, this was the Harbaugh section, because I think Ian Boyd pointed out today they were running some like pure Stanford stuff. The one where you have your have a guard out as like a tight end called the ogre which i which i love they they went really heavy uh at points in this game and i'm fine with it because like all i wanted to see from this offense was just that they could do some of the very basic things that i want them to do and like it's very funny to me that michigan fans will see a quarterback hit some perfect deep balls which Cade did and then of course jj had like a legendary deep ball but Cade hit the one to ronnie that was ronnie bell that was called off Horrible, horrible officiating, inexcusable. John O'Neill mm. uh, should be tried in a jury by a jury of his peers. It's, but anyway, skip the trial. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Yeah, ass. Uh, anyway, um, but then also the one, the the next one to Ronnie Bell was also perfect and resulted in a touchdown. And like, you know, do we should Michigan expect to have a quarterback that can nail deep balls most of the time? Yes. Have we had that since? God, I don't know, Spate, Rudock. Have <laughs> we been heard so many times before? Yes. <laughs> yeah, and so, like, you know, I'm, I'm sitting here, and it's like the, the offense was crisp. They got to the line. They knew what they wanted to do. They were able to snap the ball quickly occasionally, as Dan pointed out, which, like, has never been a given with hardball offenses. Um, and they got whatever they wanted, so they didn't have to dig into the playbook. So it's like, I think it's very strange and a sign of the shell shock of the fan base to watch an offense get essentially whatever they want all game, and it's all dialed in, and then to say – this is never going to work. We're going to go six and six. Like that's, that's, that's a very strange way to look at football. Michigan gains 551 yards of offense in this game on 9.2 yards per play. This is game one. There are a lot of teams that had a tough time doing that against defenses that were basically air. And Michigan does this in a game where they jump out to a lead early, or at least relatively early, and can I mean the, one of the complaints is that Michigan didn't show all the offense, so it's like okay, are we upset that like the not even complete offense uh, put up 553 yards on nine per play because that sounds like a really good problem, and there's no way that the game one playbook is what Michigan is going to walk in with even next week against Washington. Yeah, I feel like for the people who are upset after a 33 point win as 17 point favorites, like. You're, just, you're looking for something to be mad about, I guess. I don't know. I, I don't think we should pay that much mind. Um, or we're nitpicking yeah. because that's what we do. You know, good vibes all around. Like, it, you can't ask for a more comprehensive one than that, really. Sorry, Dan. I thought you had something to say before. Oh, yeah. No, I actually did just want to say the one the one constraint play I did love that I saw is that end around, which I think people tend to think of end around as kind of gadget plays, and oftentimes they are. But that specific design by Josh Gaddis, if you look at it, um, it's designed to look exactly like split zone. 
uh, in that you have Eric all coming around um, for what looks like a crack block to you know just uh, just block that backside defensive end. And what it does is it sets the defense up to want to uh, come inside that crack block and and try to you know attack where they think the running back is going to be running, you know, just normal inside zone. And Eric all just goes right by them. The defense is is collapsing in. And then you have two lead blockers coming around for um, Roman Wilson and or and AJ Henning were the two players they ran, in, ran it with. And if you're not running at full speed to, you know, where they are, they are going to outrun you. And I just think that's such an awesome um, constraint play. Uh, they had it in the playbook last year. It didn't quite work all the time because uh, teams were not crashing on the run the way Western was. Um, but just wanted to point out that that was my one little uh, play that I definitely liked. Yeah, I think there were some really nice wrinkles in there that uh, Michigan can build upon. And just putting down those basic things on film early on, you know, that that's something that Michigan can easily build off of where teams have to worry about you know, now suddenly you have safeties and even outside linebackers and maybe even the defensive end starting to think about, it, you know, you can just put a receiver in motion and, and run split zone and suddenly, you know, you're holding that entire backside just with some motion. So uh, that's that's a major uh, a major building block for Michigan. Um, Dalen Baldwin apparently wasn't the, the supposed to play much in this game, I, I, I guess. He was kind of shelved a little bit so I want to get to like I mean obviously he did end up getting on the field and uh looking rather spectacular um Michigan is going to have to unfortunately replace Ronnie Bell and that is certainly a concern in terms of I mean Bell looked great in this game there uh, you know there are no two ways around like Ronnie Bell is going to be a loss uh, but you know with A.J. Hanning and Dalen Baldwin and Cornelius Johnson, who didn't get a chance to do much in this game, but, uh, you know, we've liked what we've seen from him before. Eric All looking like he was coming back online a little bit. I, I, I mean, I think there are a lot of guys who are going to be able to come together and, and hopefully replace that level of production. Yeah, I'm excited for Baldwin. Like, he played that ball perfectly in the air. Um, I loved this guy's film. I've said that before. Uh, I think that when he committed, someone maybe Seth said he was like Amaro Darbo, but fast, which would which is a very very good player if that's the case, and I think he might be. I mean, I think like and, and the thing about Bell going down is that Baldwin goes from a really nice but maybe not strictly like dire need pickup in the offseason to now pretty damn important because he and Johnson are the two guys that have played a lot of football and can kind of convincingly go on the outside. Um, I expect him in the absence of Ronnie Bell to actually put up big numbers this year, especially like I, I think, I, I don't know. I mean, I think like watching Phil on both of them, I wonder if he might be even more of a deep ball guy for them than Cornelius Johnson. Hopefully they both can be. Um, but your time to shine and uh, please take care of yourself, Dylan Baldwin. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, maybe keep him in bubble wrap this week in practice, but uh, <laughs> no, um, at least the, if there was a position to to lose a like a headline contributor at, it was receiver. That doesn't mean that it was good that they uh, are now going to test that. But Michigan does have some uh, pretty talented depth there. Um, on the other side of the ball, uh, one of the big uh, talking points after the game was whether or not the defensive line. 
First of all, whether or not Michigan got a pass rush and, and whether or not the defensive line really contributed enough in that regard, because I don't think there's any question that, that uh, Michigan did a good job of shutting Western down in the running game. Uh, there was not a whole lot there for them um, outside of one outside run that slipped past tackle. Um, but, uh, you know, Michigan only gets one one sack in this game. And I think that, you know, when you look at that number, that worries some people. But when I went back and started looking through, I was, uh, you know, I, I saw what Mike McDonald was doing. And I thought that, first of all, Western was trying to get the ball out fast. And, you know, a lot of what this this pass rush is predicated upon is Michigan either is going to bring the house. And when they brought the house, they got there or they're going to line up and look like they might bring the house. And then the opponent is going to have to guess which of these four, which four of these guys out of like the six or seven who are lined up in a position to run at the quarterback are actually going to come. And it's not always about getting the sack in that case, especially when you're only rushing four and you're able to drop seven into coverage it's about making the quarterback uncomfortable, speeding him up, moving him off a spot, and hitting him. And I thought there were a, a fair number of occasions where Michigan was able to knock Westman's quarterback down or move him off his spot. There were throwaways. I mean, I, I, I thought that for a, you know, technically a one-sack performance, um, that this was a, a pretty solid pass rush game. And given that Western... I mean, their longest pass went for 29 yards. They dropped back 38 times, and that produced uh, 184 yards. That is a really good performance. And that also includes the secondary, um, which uh, I don't know who wants to talk about that, but somebody should talk about how well the secondary played. Yeah, I can I can go there. Um, <clears throat> I think that... Uh... I think we saw some really good stuff from safe from the safeties. Um, so Michigan was going uh, with Dax Hill at nickel, uh, R.J. Moten at mostly free safety, and uh, um, and Brad Hawkins at strong safety for the vast majority of the game. Um, and I really like the usage of those skill sets. I think that's a, kind of a breath of fresh air. Not to just you know say that uh, not to just trash on Don Brown too much, but you know I, I do think there were times where he you know said you know hey the safeties have to be interchangeable and we're gonna rotate them and that ended up with you know Brad Hawkins being lined up in man coverage against KJ Hamler. Um, I don't see that happening much this year. I like that he used Brad Hawkins as a box safety, you know, which is kind of where he belongs. He had a couple really nice blitzes. Um, and uh, R.J. Moten was, you know, as, as kind of the the more athletic or, and, you know, also mo- more inexperienced, he, he was left to center field a lot more where, you know, there, there's more margin for error. So um, I like the usage of the safeties there. I thought they all played really well. Dax Hill was obviously a terror. Um, he did not allow anything in the flats. He has ludicrous closing speed. Um, and I really like the games that uh, Mike McDonald play with him. Um, in terms of, you know, he, he had him, he would have him fake blitz, um, go back out and like basically, you know, start off at the line of scrimmage, fake a blitz, um, use his, you know, insane speed to uh, drop back into his zone coverage and then, you know, still be able to come down and make a tackle on the flat. And that's just the kind of stuff that like, that's getting the maximum utilization out of Dax Hill. Um, and, and that's, that's awesome to see. Um, and then, you know, I think the, the still the biggest question mark on this defense is going to be the corners. I thought watching live that I, that they played well. Um, 
I think Jemon Green might. I'm 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 getting higher and higher on him. I think he may be the next like you know Michigan NFL corner. Um, so I think he's going to be really solid this year. The one completion on him, he got his hand on, and there's nothing else you can do about that. Mm-hmm. Um, the the second corner spot, I think I'm still worried about. Like I didn't really see a lot. I thought Vincent Gray looks like he knows what he's doing out there, but he got beat one time and got pretty lucky to you know get kind of a lucky pass breakup, um, and. Uh, and DJ Turner got beat pretty bad on a deep comeback route later in the game. Um, you know, those are one. Those are one. Uh, you know, play. I don't want to act like that's you know an encapsulation of their entire performance. But I do think like I, I, I expected this. You know, I expected this to still be a problem spot. But I just you know it's kind of confirmed. Like this is going to be an ongoing thing. It's probably going to be the weak point in the defense. Um, and it doesn't seem like there's an immediate answer there at that second corner spot. Um, so that's that's my secondary take. I did think that it was interesting that Hill played exclusively in nickel. Um, that kind of was dictated to a degree by Western's personnel, but we kind of wondered, okay, where is he going to play this year? Is he going to play some of that deep safety? Is he going to play corner? Is he going to be in the nickel? Um, and I do wonder if they might experiment him uh, <clears throat> with him as the second corner uh, against a team like, say, Wisconsin, hypothetically, where you're going to need a little bit more beef out there. Yeah, I mean, this defense is definitely going to be dictated in large part by opponent, but... Um, Imagine that. Yeah, uh, you know, that that seems like a good thing. Um, and, I, I mean, the, the way Hill was used, I, I thought was pretty promising. Uh, I also want to mention... Josh Rosh looked looked very reinvigorated at at linebacker. I I, I think kind of um, maybe doing a little less reading and a little bit more just like going uh, is going to benefit him. And this defense puts him in a position to just kind of do that. Um, so I, I thought there was a lot to like uh, from the way McDonald called this game and the way the it fit the personnel. Yeah, I just want to very briefly say like I know that. Um... You know, Michigan fans are used to Don, Don Brown passing, pressure being pretty relentless and, and pretty obvious in the way that it manifests. And people thought there wasn't enough pressure in this game. And I think early on, LB had a little bit more time. It had less and less as the game went on. And and again, the part of that's McDonald's adjustments worked. So we have DCs making in-game adjustments that work and get better and better results as the game goes on, which is pretty cool to see. Um but I really want to stress this. Like, I, a lot of people seem to think that like somehow LB is hitting the pocket. I, I promise you, the one person on earth who most strongly and sincerely believes that that Michigan got pressure in this game is Caleb Ellaby. <laughs> that, that poor guy got hit so many times. And actually, this is where Don Brown. I'll give Don Brown a lot of credit. He always said like the important stat for QB pressure is not you know uh, sacks or quote-unquote pressure on the score sheet it's just how many times did you hit the guy because if you hit the quarterback enough it's going to get to him and they hit Caleb LB a lot and I think you'll see that going forward yeah that was that was very much reflected in the passing statistics because Western could not reliably move the ball through the air and part of that's because Caleb LB yes there was like I think there was a pass like there definitely was a pass early on where LB had a very clean pocket and was able to hit a receiver over the middle to get a, like a third down conversion that was fairly long. And yeah, it looked a little concerning, but that's just, I mean, Michigan rushed four, uh, you know, they, they showed some pressure and then dropped guys out of it. And, and every once in a while, that's going to happen. Uh, sometimes teams are going to pick up your blitz. 
um, especially when the Blitz only has four people. But, you know, they, they got such, you know, it's not about giving up one, like not allowing one first down or never allowing points. It is about forcing a team to drive a field on you consistently. And Western couldn't even get first downs consistently. Yeah, they had a couple of um, effective plays where they kind of ran a play action and an immediate rollout and throw into the flat on the other side. And it worked a couple times, including on their touchdown drive, but uh, Michigan kind of downloaded it. And there was one play in the second half where LB just got blown up uh, trying to execute that play. So, you know, I think the pressure ramped up as the game went on and Hutchinson really made a, a great individual impact in that regard, I thought. Yeah, Western went for uh, 10 plays and 75 yards on their first drive and their last drive. And in between, they went punt, 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 end of half, punt, miss field goal, punt, and punt. And that first drive was scripted, and that last drive was against the backups. Yeah, I think, and I think I do just want to make a larger point about, like, the philosophy of this defense. I think Michigan fans have been a bit spoiled by, um, you know, the way that Don Brown played defense in that, you know, a, sp- a lot of times against especially teams like Western Michigan, they would just hold them to like, you know, 52 yards in like the first half or something ridiculous, right? And that's not what this defense is going to be about, um, partially because, you know, it's a necessity. They don't have the, the, the uh, personnel to do that, but also partially because like that's the way Mac, uh, Mac McDonald, um, <laughs> uh, that's, that's the way McDonald uh, coordinates uh, a defense um, and it's going to be about, you know, making you earn it, making you earn your way down the field. Um, and a lot of times, you know, other teams, especially teams with capable offenses, are going to earn their way down the field. But they're going to make them do it uh, consistently, and they're going to try to generate explosive plays and, and, you know, knock you into passing downs and then, you know, uh, and then kick you off the field. And, you know, I think that Michigan fans need to remember, you know, what that was like, you know, in a year like uh, maybe 2011 or 2012 when, you know, they ended up having pretty decent defenses overall, but it was more, um, you know, uneven than just like totally shutting teams down. Um, So, yeah, no, just something just something to think about. Um, And then also another just kind of like small schematic thing I noticed. um, I was more or less expecting the uh, quote unquote outside linebackers to be to act as defensive ends. Um, And I was actually pretty wrong about that. Um, They dropped them into coverage a a good amount. I would say almost I don't know if I'd have to look back and, you know, check. But I would say like one of those outside linebackers were dropping back into coverage probably a little bit less than 50% of the time. Um, And that's something I didn't expect. So, uh, you know, we'll see how that goes. Um, I don't think any of the outside linebackers on the team are ideally suited for that, but you do need to do it in a scheme like this to to keep teams honest so that, you know, you're not, uh, you're not just doing the same thing every time. So um, just a small thing that I noticed there. Yeah. I didn't think uh, David Ojabo looked wildly out of place dropping into coverage at least. And, uh, especially as McDonald tries to overload one side of the offensive line or the other while not committing too many bodies to the pass rush. Yeah, you're gonna you're gonna see uh, one of those outside linebackers drop occasionally, but and and probably Ojabo more often than Hutchinson, just because uh, you generally want Aiden, Aiden Hutchinson getting after the passer. Um, and he was, I mean, the numbers don't do justice to how often uh, and how quickly he was often in the backfield uh, in this game. So, uh, yeah, I, I think there were a lot of promising things to take away from week one, and that is a lot more than Washington can say uh, after their week one. That is Michigan's next opponent. That was supposed to be 
a marquee one. Washington headed into this game ranked 20th in the country. They were at home, and they lost to an FCS team, Montana, 13-7, putting up a whopping 291 yards of total offense in that game for the Huskies. Um, That was... uh, I don't know. Maybe that's what happens when you hire John Donovan to be your offensive coordinator. Uh, he was the, uh, you know, in case you forgot, I think we might have mentioned it last week, but uh, I'm happy to mention it again right now, and it'll be definitely mentioned uh, several times this week heading into the game. Washington hired the guy who coordinated the Christian Hackenberg Penn State offenses and then went into the NFL wilderness for like four years because nobody else would hire him. He was like an assistant to the assistant offensive coach slash analyst. And a Jimmy Lake, a the Washington's previous defensive coordinator, takes over the job last year. And again, this is a defensive-minded guy, so he really needs his offensive coordinator to be a guy who's good at running his own offense. And he hired John Donovan, and Washington scored seven points and got 291 yards against Montana. Um, This game was on the Pac-12 network, which means uh, I found uh, less than legal ways to stream it uh, for the fourth quarter when I saw that score. But um, Connor is in Montana, so this was actually like an option to watch, and he watched it. So what... I mean, obviously this was bad for Washington, but what what does this mean heading into next week and what were kind of the major takeaways for you from this one? So the major takeaway for me, so I was at the scene for you guys. Uh, I was in a very much a Montana Grizzly, go Grizz, uh, partisan bar here in Missoula where the team is based. Um, and I don't think anyone in that bar going into that game expected uh, the Grizz to pull it out. But obviously the atmosphere got more and more excited as this was happening. I wasn't watching every snap. But I think that, that it's still important to talk about this impressionistic terms because like the stats tell you a story and the story is not flattering for Washington. But <laughs> I, I, it was actually worse watching it kind of casually while playing pool <laughs> and stuff because like every time I looked up, I was like, all right, Washington has the ball. This is going to be the drive where I'm going to see them like make a play. And they would hand off and like run whatever vanilla play you know between the tackles uh, and get stuffed by Montana's front. I mean, like, knocked at the line of scrimmage almost every time. Um, Like, maybe one yard or half a yard over and over again, I saw that. And then when Morris dropped back the pass, there would, you know, for whatever... So so I think the interesting thing about Montana, they run, they usually run a five-man front. It's actually quite similar to what McDonald would like to be doing, which is you have a nose tackle, um, you know, you have... You have two quote unquote jumbo defensive ends who for an FCS team are like the size of our like middle linebackers, but like, and then you have the linebackers uh, who are supposed to be dynamic and do a bunch of things on the outside. So it's usually a five man front. Those linebackers were just in the, they were living in the Washington backfield. They were putting in uh, a new kitchen with granite countertops in the Washington backfield. <laughs> like I, I, so the big, the big takeaway here. And these guys are like the size of RJ Moten, if that, right? Like <laughs> this is an FCS team. Um, they had a 290 pound nose tackle. Yeah. Every like Michigan defensive lineman is significantly bigger than that. <laughs> yeah. I mean, shout out, shout out DRA Todd, former Spartan. Um, that's a, that's a deep cut there. <laughs> that's a real deep cut. Good lord. Yeah. So so I guess here's the real point, right? Like hats off to Montana for how they played and they, you know, they did get some interceptions and stuff, but like yeah, Dylan Morris looks bad, but I don't think it's really even his fault because like, you know, one of the biggest plays of the game, I think Ace saw this one, like they desperately needed a first down. It was third and long 
and what and like a linebacker got in the backfield and dropped Morris for like a 15 yard sack just one of the saddest things you've ever seen from an F, you know, a power five <laughs> team so the big takeaway that's all that is to say Washington's offensive line I can barely describe how bad they looked because if you're getting caved in by an FCS front and you're allowing FCS outside linebackers to just storm into your backfield at will and you truly can't get any push or do anything against I keep saying this an FCS defense like <laughs> It's basically impossible for them to play worse than that against Michigan because if they play like that against Michigan, Aiden Hutchinson himself will have like 11 sacks. So I don't think that's going to happen, but it was it was worse than the stats. It was truly a sight to behold. So Montana has three sacks among their eight tackles for loss. Uh, Washington's starting running back carries the ball 17 times for 62 yards. Um, their backup running back carries the ball four times for eight yards. Uh, the only way they effectively ran the ball was giving it to Giles Jackson twice for 19 yards. Uh, you may remember him. Welcome home, Giles. <laughs> yeah. And then in the passing game, they threw the ball to seven different receivers. Does anybody want to take a guess how many of those receivers averaged more than 10 yards a catch? I'm going to guess, I, I think probably one, because I, I, I watched the highlights of this game and I did not see any 10-yard catches. <laughs> you, you, you undershot it, but only by one. There were two. Two receivers who averaged 10 yards a catch. One of them was Kate Odden, who had eight catches for 82 yards, averaging 10.3 yards per catch. And the other was Jalen Polk, who had one catch for 13 yards. Um, yeah, that's, uh, that's John Donovan offense, folks. Um, and that's what's coming into the big house next week. Uh the Washington defense uh, did look, you know, frisky um, for whatever that's worth. Uh, and I don't know how much that is worth considering they played against an FCS team. Uh, they also have a defensive back named Alex Cook. So uh, look out for a double agent out there. Um, <laughs> and, uh, yeah, I, I mean, I don't know. We're, we're going to get into this soon. We might as well just use this to launch into our picks uh, because uh, – Michigan and Washington is obviously in there. Before that, I should mention the performance of last week's picks, even though I do not want to. Um, the Ohio State game was a push for all of us because uh, when we were making our picks, that line was at 14, and that game finished uh, with Ohio State winning by 14. Um, I went 1-3-1. and Alex went 0-3-1 and because he declined to pick the Michigan game. Uh, Connor went 2-2-1. Two, two and one. And Dan's faith in Penn State and Michigan pays off in a 3-1-1 record <laughs> and the lead in our picks. Oh, oh no, 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 uh, no, no, no. Not, not my faith in Michigan. My faith in Michigan State is what paid off. I am sorry. Yes. No, no, that's what it was. I, I really did actually just block that go out. Go green, baby. We were Let's doing go. disrespect to the Spartans. <laughs> because here's the thing. Um, Dan wants to say that, but... Uh, w if we were actually making those picks, um, Connor and I just said not to bet it. We did pick Michigan State. We just said to stay the hell away from it, um, oh, okay. <laughs> which I think was fair. But I wasn't willing to uh, – Connor got the leg up on me by picking Michigan. Um, I was betting on Western to cover the spread because I did not have faith in uh, the defense, and particularly the secondary against a competent quarterback. And uh, my lack of faith was, um, you know, punished. And fair enough. Um, we picked uh, 
just four games this week because uh, everything else is hideous. And even some of these games uh, might be hideous. Um, and these numbers were taken uh, this afternoon from PointsBet. Um, we will start out with Oregon plus 14.5 at Ohio State. The over-under on this game is 63.5. I am taking Ohio State to win this one because Oregon's uh, – Two big problems are quarterback play, where they have Boston College transfer Anthony Brown, who looks um, not awesome so far because uh, he didn't really look that good at Boston College, so that always seemed kind of odd. And their their other problem is in the secondary. So um, I don't know if they are really the team to expose Ohio State's flaws. Alex, do you have a pick for this game? Yeah, I'm going to take the under there. Uh, 63.5 seems a little high to me, and I think um... – Oregon's offense in the shoe uh, in a body clock game, I might be inclined to pick Ohio State, um, <clears throat> even favored by two touchdowns. But, yeah, I'm, I'm taking the under there. And, Connor, uh, I believe you are the contrarian pick among us, at least among teams. Fear the duck, baby. I'm picking Oregon. That's a pretty big spread. Like, I don't think Oregon is maybe as good as a preseason ranking, but they we know they have a lot of talent. Um, this is a team with a pulse for sure. And here's my thing. And I might get burned for this later in the year, but like, you know, what's Ohio state going to do to like score a hundred on us? Uh, so <laughs> I'm going to keep saying it. <laughs> um, but like, I, I kind of think this Ohio state team is, is looking more like a 2017, 2018 Ohio state team where it's like, yeah, they're very good and we'll probably win the conference. But I do think they're a step down from the 2019, 2020, like transcendent, some of the best Ohio State teams ever. Still didn't win a national title. <laughs> um, but I, I think they're a little bit of a step down. So I think Oregon's going to give them some trouble in week two. Especially because C.J. Stroud, I'm going to keep repeating this also. If I'm an Ohio State fan, I'm not crowing about 13 of 22 against that freaking Minnesota defense. Like, there's there's still some questions there. Yeah, um, I'm going to pick Ohio State. I'm going to try not to overthink this. Um, I picked <laughs> Ohio State last week. Um, I I think a lot of C.J. Stroud's uh, miscues felt very like first game jitters type. Um, they were also in a pretty raucous environment in Minnesota. Um, and uh, yeah, I think they're going to return home. Oregon looks very meh. Um, just not really. I, I don't know. I watched a good amount of their game and I, I didn't. I was just not very impressed. So yeah, I think this is the type of game that Ohio State just sort of like maybe it stays close maybe it's like 10 points at halftime and then they you know kind of just blow the doors off in the second half you know once they really start hitting their stride so yeah ohio state to cover all right the the next game is buffalo uh currently 13 and a half point underdogs at nebraska um with a total of 54 and a half last week buffalo beat wagner uh 69 to 7 that might just be a guy um, but I would still put that as more impressive than Nebraska's week one performance. And while Nebraska bounced back last week, I believe that was against an FCS team that doesn't even give out all of its scholarship allotment. So, um, yeah, maybe not like the, the best game to anchor your pick from, uh, Buffalo has some legitimate NFL talent on its roster. I really like their backfield. Um, I would hammer this. They are my lock of the week at plus 13 and a half. Uh, Alex, 
I think you're I think you're feeling the same thing. Yeah, I think I'm going to take Buffalo as well. Uh congrats on their big victory over the Wagner brothers last weekend. <laughs> but uh yeah, I actually I I do want to get this out because I was announced as going winless in week 1. I did bet UTSA um on the road against Illinois. Same here, sincere McCormick, yep, baby. And <laughs> I I I took them in the points and they did wind up winning straight up. I don't know if Buffalo is going to win straight up, but like you, I feel pretty good uh picking them with this with the points. Alex and I would have benefited greatly from the crappier games being included in the, our our picks from last week, but uh we choose the good stuff just for you and uh unfortunately sometimes take a beating. Yeah, fade fade Art Sikowski, that's easy money. That, that that seems to be the play. Um, Connor, uh, I don't think you're going to be contrarian on this one. Nope. Uh, I see... First of all, it's like the under. I, I see a, a rock fight happening in this game. I think it's going to get ugly. Um, yeah, I, I don't... Was Nebraska playing Fordham or like some other liberal arts college from the East Coast? Like, I don't even know. I, I believe it was Fordham. <laughs> okay. That's like, that's like a weird Catholic school in New York City. That's not a football program. <laughs> um, uh, yes, Buffalo. They, they beat Fordham 52 to 7. That was, yeah. that was the actual team that they played. <laughs> I, I, I'm, I'm serious when I say I don't believe Fordham gives out like as many scholarships as they could. I doubt it. Like, they don't have, like, they're not, yeah, I mean, I've been to their campus. That's not a football program. Like, just for me. Uh, <laughs> you would have been on their campus. <laughs> yeah. Um, and Buffalo was built by a very good coach who departed, yes, but, like, those are still his players. I think they're, I think they're probably going to straight up beat Nebraska because Nebraska still looks horrible. But definitely 13 and a half points, hammer Buffalo all day long. Yeah. Um, that, that 410 money line, plus 410, um, you know, might think about throwing a couple bucks on that one just in case. Uh, Dan, uh, you seem to be flipping back and forth on this one uh, while we're uh, while we're live. Um, that's why we do this. Uh, I think you just got talked into joining the crew. <laughs> yeah, uh, I was I was trying to con- convince myself into going contrarian here, uh, but I don't know. Nebraska just seems like. They're the classic time of, type of team that uh, Vegas tends to overrate because they have a lot of talent, um, and you know they should be you know a lot better than Buffalo, obviously. But they're just badly coached. Uh, they just seem always unorganized. Um, and yeah, I don't know. And thirteen and a half points is a lot. Nebraska. I don't even. I can't even remember the last time they truly like blew out even kind of like a a mid major type team. So yeah, give me Buffalo. I'll be uninteresting here and and uh, and join the group. Yeah, um, that that line I think has already moved down a, a point in Nebraska's direction. So that if you are the gambling type, you might want to look at uh, jumping on that line early, like say I did earlier today. Um, <laughs> next game on the schedule is El Asico, Iowa. Wait, well, wait, yes, El Asico, Iowa at Iowa State. Um, Iowa plus four and a half in this game, which is. Uh, um, Interesting, given the results of last week, because Iowa State only beat Northern Iowa 16-10, to 10, which is uh, concerning a lot of people, but also that is extremely on-brand early on in the season for Iowa State. Uh, the over-under in this game is 46, which um tremendously on-brand uh, for this rivalry. I am sticking to my soup guns um, and also trying to zag while the public zigs uh towards Iowa here because that is is where the public is going with this one but I think that uh, first of all I'm a little worried that Indiana might just be bad um and uh I mean they, they Iowa made them look bad 
Um, but we know from last year that Iowa State is a really good team, and I, I'm a little skeptical. I, I'm just a little skeptical of the Hawkeyes. I know that they, like every once in a while they just are really good, um, but it takes a couple games for me to, to believe in it. That said, this is probably a stay-away game for me in terms of betting the spread, and if I were to place any bet on this game, it'd probably be throwing a few bucks on the Iowa money line at plus 170. And Alex, I think you have similar thoughts on this Yeah, one. I'm going to be betting the Iowa money line um, because I traveled to Grand Rapids, or from Grand Rapids to Ann Arbor. I missed quite a bit of the action on Saturday, so I didn't get to watch Iowa versus Indiana or Iowa State versus Northern Iowa, but... Yeah, uh, you know, why not? Let's let's go for it. Um, feeling like Kirk Ferentz could maybe put together one of those 10 or 11 win type seasons based on, uh, you know, demolishing Indiana. Yeah, and if you're feeling like it's uh, something closer to a coin flip, then, uh, you know, underdog money line is, is not a bad way to go. Um, Connor, uh, I, I think you are you're joining me um, in the light of soup. Yes, I am. Uh, I'm going to keep talking shit about Iowa because we don't have to play them. So I hope I just keep shitting <laughs> yes. on them and they just run roughshod over everyone except us. Uh, yeah, like there's a no lose proposition there. Um, but yeah, I've never been a Kirk Ferentz believer. I am a suit believer. Uh, Iowa State, they didn't have the best opening week, which is like normal and expected. And one reason, by the way, that I'm happy with Michigan having a great opening week. But mm-hmm. they returned so many starters. There's a lot of genuine talent on that Iowa State team. Um, I think, and this is an opportunity for a statement win, because one of the things Matt Campbell hasn't managed to do is beat Iowa, which is weird because he's beaten Oklahoma a couple times, et cetera, et cetera. So, yeah, I think this is going to be uh, a real real bounce-back moment for Soup. All right, and I think we're going to get another counterpoint from Dan. Uh, yeah, so I am... Um... I'm a suit believer. Uh, I don't believe the um, the whole northern uh, northern Iowa thing. That's like a very good, that's a classic like very good FCS team that is probably would beat a lot of like MAC teams. So um, you know that's it, it's it's actually like a decent win for Iowa State. Um, all that said, I I think people are generally right now over overrating Iowa, even though I think they are good. I think they'll probably win the West, um, but. That, that win against Indiana looks a lot more um, convincing than it really was because they had two pick sixes. So that was really closer to a 10-point game, even though, you know, they did whip Indiana's ass. Don't get me wrong. Um, mm-hmm. So with all that said, um, I'm still going to go Iowa because I think Iowa's better than Iowa State. I think they're more talented than Iowa State. Um, also, Iowa State has not beaten Iowa, even with Matt Campbell there. Um, and four and a half points is um, is a lot. I think that's too much. I think if it was if it was like two and a half, I would maybe say Iowa State. I, I'm going to say Iowa State wins, but Iowa covers. Um, but yeah, so Iowa. I, I, I see you follow some of Hawkeye Twitter and have repeated their favorite factoid. Um, <laughs> no, I'm kidding. But uh, <laughs> yeah, uh, Matt Campbell has never beaten Iowa. Um, if you ask any Hawkeye fan whether. Uh, Matt Campbell would be a good coach at Michigan. They will tell you that and then not give you a real answer. Um, it's fun. We have fun online. Our our, uh, our last pick of the week is the game we care about wa- most. Um, Washington plus six and a half points at Michigan. The over-under for this game, a rather low 49. Um, I have, uh, d- despite my reticence, 
to have Michigan in play. Um, I also understand that, uh, you know, when the, when the bet is right, um, you know, I, I'm almost never going to bet against Michigan. Uh, but when you've got a line like this, uh, after a game that Washington played last week, um, I'm, I'm okay playing on the Wolverines. I have bet Michigan minus six and a half. I also took the under, uh, because I think Michigan is going to be able to score some, but this is, this is still a pretty good Huskies defense. I mean, they only allowed like 225 yards against Montana. And while it's Montana, that's a, a very small amount of yards. Um, and, you know, Washington has a, a good defensive coach and a good defensive reputation and a lot of talent on that side of the ball. The problem is that their offense sucks. And, it, I mean, it looked just god-awful against Montana. They'd have to have a significantly better performance to get to uh, 14 points against Michigan. So, uh, I mean, unless you're expecting Michigan to put up 35 or so on Washington, uh, the under feels like a pretty good play here. So I, I have actually played both of those. Um Alex, your pick? So I'm going to take Michigan. I do think Washington will look considerably better than they did last week, um, if only just for because of a regression to the mean. Like I don't think they're secretly a, a two- or, or three-win team, um, although if they are, Michigan could win by a lot. Um, I, I'm going to stay away from the over-under. I think that if Washington's offense is as dysfunctional as it was last week, that that could kind of have a snowball effect. Couple big plays here and there could really blow the game open and send it into prolonged garbage time. But I'm going to go with Michigan, um, and yeah, stay away from the over/under. I would be sincerely happy to lose that over/under bet in the fashion that you just described. Uh, Connor, what is your pick? Uh, Michigan all the way. That's incredibly obvious here. Uh, but I definitely think I'm taking the under quite strongly here because I don't think like Washington will look a little bit better. Like I hope for the safety of their players, they look better on <laughs> offense. Um, but like, I just can't see them doing almost anything against a, a, a defense with a pulse and some real NFL talent on it. So take the under also, you know, what's going to happen is that the entire second half will be Dan Valari handing off uh, to Tavier Dunlap in split zone. So I don't think, I think, I don't think Michigan's going to run up the score here either. Um, From yeah. your lips to God's ear. Oh, God, I hope so. <laughs> yes. <laughs> the Valari cat did look good. I just want to point that's my last bit of, uh, of analysis on, uh, on last <laughs> week's we game. It looked, that looked, that looked promising in my opinion. I think they should use it more. Hey, you got to use his proper name though. The the, Pais- the wild Paisan, yes, sorry. Yeah, there we go. Thank you. <laughs> when we saw Valari check in for that two-point conversion, that was probably as excited as Ben Mathis, Willie, <laughs> and I were all game. <laughs> that is uh, how to be a Michigan fan. Uh, uh, Dan, uh, last one to make our pick here. Um, yeah, so by the way, real quick, so the SP Plus rankings just dropped. Where oh do you – give me, give me a quick uh, guess where you think Michigan is ranked. Oh man, we are doing this live. I I'm not checking Twitter. I'm going to go with eleventh. Uh, I saw the DM already, so I don't have an answer. Okay. Eighteen. Uh, I don't know. N- neither of you were bullish enough. Seventh. Michigan. Holy ha! crap! <laughs> Read it and weep, baby. Michigan is all the way back. Um, wow. Okay. <laughs> my. my uh, my serious uh, analysis of this game is that um, uh, this 
This uh, Washington offense is probably bad. I think John Donovan is is a uniquely bad offensive he's definitely coordinator. Bad. <laughs> he's really bad. I he's kind of I I was on I was uh, trolling Penn State message boards back when he was their offensive coordinator, and um, they just hated him. Um, and anyway, I they're also losing potentially their top four wide receivers. Um, so they gracious. do not have the strength to challenge Michigan's potentially set, uh, shaky corners. Um, and uh, and they also, you know, it seems like they really struggled running the ball against an FCS team. So it seems like they don't have the positional strength to challenge, uh, you know, Michigan's potentially shaky interior defensive line. Um, so with all that said, you know, this, this line is also moving rapidly in Michigan's direction. Usually when that's happening, um, it's because Vegas can't correct quickly enough to you know even out the money on both sides. Um, so I'm going to take Michigan, especially because they've been great at home at night under Harbaugh. Um, yeah, I, I think that they could... They could either blow them out or they could win a, a hard-fought, you know, defensive struggle. I think either one of those options, Michigan could, you know, win by a touchdown here. So, I don't know. Um, I feel like I shouldn't be this confident. Um, I, I feel like, again, as, as, as all of you guys said, you know, I think Washington will be a lot better definitely this week. But I, I still don't that. think it's going to be enough. To, okay, <laughs> well, as, as, as Connor yeah. said, <laughs> but... Yeah, anyway, Michigan, uh, minus six and a half. One last thought. If Washington is trotting out a man named Alex Cook in their defensive backfield, they're going to get lit up by a Christmas tree. Um, That's all I have to say about that. (laughs) All right. We are feeling confident about Michigan. Uh, That is all we have for you this week. Um, Before we go, I do want to mention that um, you are going to see uh, some changes to thebucketproblem.com soon, mostly involving, like, I need to make a living on this, so you can probably see where this is going. I'm not announcing anything yet, but again, you can probably see where this is going. That said, this podcast will remain completely free. Um, follow us at, um, at Bucket Problem on Twitter. Uh, go to thebucket.problem.com. Subscribe to the newsletter, which uh, is a great way to keep up on things that will happen to the newsletter. Um, rate and review the podcast. Use the promo code BUCKETPROBLEM at homefieldapparel.com contact the bucket problem at gmail.com for inquiries and uh, enjoy your week. Thanks for listening.